lot of people see a business as riskier than a job. Um, I think a job is actually riskier than a business in a lot of ways if you come at it from a different angle. In a job, you only have one customer, your employer. Uh, if that right. customer decides that they don't like you anymore, whoop. Whereas in a business, yeah. you'll have many customers and then, you know, potentially more robust. And in a job, your income potential is fixed. In a business, it, you could make as much as you want, really, like, or as much as your business is able to structurally. What's up, people? My name is Katie Friesen, and you're listening to Humans of the World podcast. This podcast gives you insights into human behavior. It's walking a mile in someone else's shoes, understanding why people act the way that they do. Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram. That's at Humans of the World Podcast. If you don't have Instagram, check out the website, www.humansoftheworld.co. There you can join our community group chat on Telegram. You can talk with different people from around the world, different cultures. There'll be free giveaways, guest access, all cool and exclusive stuff to the Telegram group chat. I would love to meet with you guys. I would love to chat with you. You can find it on Instagram or on the website. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being great. And I hope you enjoy this next conversation. Today's conversation is with Christian Echeverria. This is part two. His first part was just a general story, kind of an overview of his life. Uh, pretty interesting. Check it out if you have not. Um, and this episode, part two, is kind of like a bonus episode where me and Chris just talk about uh, lifestyle business versus venture capital uh, and all that kind of fun stuff. So if you want to check out the first episode, check out uh, co. Okay, I have three follow-up questions. The first one, what would you say are the fundamental entrepreneurial skills? <laughs> Talking to customers. Okay. So you have to know, yeah, you have to know how to find people, how to get them to agree, to chat with you, how to ask them about their problems in a way that's not leading no mojo. What's up with my dogs in here? It's Kate. What's your dog's name? Mojo. Aw, Mojo. Um, so, yeah, knowing how to find your customers or your potential customers, uh, interviewing them such that you're not asking leading questions and you can find out about the real problem, closing a sale, so taking pre-orders and things like that and then uh and then building so like you know like Nabal said if you can build and you can sell then you know the world is yours essentially um Got it. that's that's what it comes down to but knowing what to build and knowing how to build and when to build and all that it all comes from the customer like discovery aspect of it like what you may think of as sales that's like 80 percent of your job i think as an entrepreneur the other 20 percent is like building the actual thing which is like the thing that also nobody cares let me just let's just put that out there nobody cares about your really cool technology or about your like trickety trick <laughs> cool. or your right until they have a reason to so it solves their problem or it gives them some benefit or something like that i know that you are probably if i'm speaking directly to an entrepreneur i know that you're in love probably with your mechanism but the market won't necessarily care at all Got it. Got so it. you know save yourself some time unless you're doing it as a hobby which case buy con dios like do it as a hobby <laughs> for as long as you want and maybe yeah. one day it'll turn into a business but don't start like trying to build a mechanism to have it become with the intention of having it become a business um 
Yeah. So that's just not the right way. That's like the wrong sequence. You start with yeah. the problem and then you build a mechanism for it. Um, question. Okay, so now the second part of my question. And first, um, if you want to tell everyone um, so everyone else has the context a little bit about like liquid carrot, what you guys were doing, what you were building. So just so Absolutely. everyone knows. And then the follow-up question to that is, given the lessons you know now, what would you have done differently with liquid carrot? <laughs> so go. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> liquid carrot was essentially a framework that was supposed to become a service uh, that would essentially build your like uh, deep learning models for you. Um, so essentially, if you had like a problem and you had data, um, you would essentially like grab this data, put it into like the framework or the tool or the magic box, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the magic box would spit out like a model that would do what you wanted it to do. So like if you wanted it to predict something, it would predict something like, let's say, you know, you passed it like market data and you wanted to, it to predict like what the price of a stock was going to be or whether or not it's a trade or sell at a given moment, then it would do that. Or if you wanted it to take a series of steps um, and to get like some outcome, um, then it, you would go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry, go, keep going. Uh, no, then you'd go ahead and feed it that data and um, basically just let it learn on it. And it would just build the model for you instead of like, kind of like the other way around where like, you know, the problem that we tried to solve was, uh, you build like deep learning models and you kind of just like see what sticks. Like you try different like combinations, you put like Lego blocks together and you hope that this is the right one. And then you try it, like you train it and then you try it and then you hope that it works. And then sometimes it doesn't, you go back to the drawing board and you'll spend a very long time trying to do that, like iteratively. Um, yeah, so that's what the product or the mechanism was supposed to solve. Okay. Now going on to what we did wrong. Well, <laughs> we didn't really start with the customer problem. Okay. So what we later on discovered is, for example, that only very, very large companies have this problem because they have the level of sophistication to actually like uh, be working at this level. Most companies have a problem of much, like call it lower sophistication, where they're just like, they don't know like how to format their data or you know they're not even interested in like doing deep learning because they don't need it like they could use a much simpler model or something like that so i just would have started with like where people are at in in the related like anything related to where we ultimately wanted to go and then we probably would have created like some data cleaning tool or something like that or, or something that would just create like a simple a more simplified version like instead of deep learning we do like like i don't know linear regression or something and that would work for like certain you know, customers right. or whatever, start down yeah. market, get sales, get money, and then work yeah. up, work our way up as we like, you know, understand the customer better and the problem and the market and all that. Instead <laughs> of trying to go for this incredibly ambitious mechanism. So uh, you're trying to sell the Lamborghini, but they just need the, the Toyota kind of thing. Yeah, they just need to go get some groceries. And that's actually, yeah. <laughs> that's actually the case with a lot of markets. Uh, so that's actually in mm -hmm. the, in like the Dane Maxwell, like philosophy or whatever, is that sometimes right. the problem, like you as the, uh, sometimes most of the time, the problem that your customers want solved is probably incredibly simple from your perspective. 
So right. just like, don't get your pride mixed in it and don't get your sense of identity mixed into your product and then try to build something that you think is grand or that you can be, you know, you want to be proud of. Instead, build something that people actually want um, by asking them and letting right. them and, and uh, taking what they say seriously and then observing their willingness to pay. So, um, you know, the biggest test that you could have for whether or not people want your actual product is ask them to pay. If they pay, they want it. If they don't mm-hmm. pay, then there's probably something wrong. In your, maybe it's in your pricing. Maybe it's in the exact way that you're explaining your mechanism. So the, the Dane Maxwell way or whatever, or I guess it's also kind of like a lean startup way, uh, yeah. is like ask them what the problem is. Uh, ask them what they try to do to solve the problem because a lot of people will complain to you, but not actually, it's not a problem they actually care to solve because they haven't tried anything yet. Um, and then ask them what that problem is worth, ask them to pay that amount, take their money, and then show them like different ideas that you right. have to solve the problem. And you can also ask them what their ideal solution would be like, by the way. So you can even like cheat and like, you know, get them to give you the answers on the test. And then you just show them what you think they meant and you keep iterating until they're like, yep, that's what I want. If you give me that for sure, I'll keep paying. Like, great. Then you go and you sell it to like 10 or 15 other people um, and you ha- you co-develop it with all of them. And you've essentially had your customers finance your, your product with no risk and like right. the best validation you could ever get which is like they paid you for it <laughs> and they're serious and they're giving you their time to build this mechanism. That's like a completely different model <laughs> than like what I see most people operating under. And it just, it makes so much sense that it's like, I can't believe I was doing it like any other way, you know, I just want to save right. so much time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. It's a good. Whatever. That was like a perfect summary of, of essentially that theory of thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, and then going now to your current uh, business, what are some learnings that you've taken away from what you're currently doing? Um, I think it's important to get like customers in the beginning that are going to be like forgiving of your like learning. Okay. Um, so for like my uh like for my marketing startup, <clears throat> I mean, startup, whatever, business, uh, since we got startup in the brain. But um, <laughs> our first like client, she was very patient with us and that allowed mm-hmm. us the time and the space to explore how to solve the problem. Um, and that sort of was like, gave us the ability to like come up with a really good solution. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. what you need. Like if you at first need to do the first few customers at cost or something like that, and not really like like take take their money right. but like don't make money off of it right and just like set like expectations uh do it because um a you're gonna make it that's much less risk for them to jump in right? right uh give them personalized attention because you can now that you're small and learn as much as you can like you helping them solve this problem uh is gonna just benefit your company later on massively plus they're going to be very happy. Hey, 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 come on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. It's just, it's just going to help you massively. Like, no, hold on, give me one second. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. So, um, so getting back to it. Yeah. Your customer is just going to appreciate like the fact that you're giving them so much personalized attention and really like really listening to what they want. So 
that's the thing. Most people will not listen to other people. And this is true in business too. Uh, so if you just take the time to just listen to what they actually want and be receptive, uh, your customers will love you for it. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you'll have incredible customer loyalty and you're going to learn a lot and you're going to do it in a way that's low risk for them and low risk for you. Um, so this is the way, you know? There we go. So it's yeah. spoken from the man himself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what has worked. And I've tried a lot of things that haven't worked. So, yeah. Well, I would say like, you. oh, sorry, go for it. <laughs> no, I mean, that's just from experience, basically. Yeah. Well, and, and I would say like one of your strengths being your friend for, yeah, I don't know what, we've known each other for three, four years now. Has it been that long? I think. Wow. I think so. I think at least three years, maybe not four that's yet. Crazy. But, but you're incredibly wow. good at empathizing and you're incredibly good at um listening so i think you you're really utilizing your your strengths among many other strengths that you have thank you i appreciate that yeah <laughs> um i i like it i like talking to people um i like listening to them um i like to just kind of like the draw of entrepreneurship too is like you get to learn about people's like lives and stuff like that i mean if you really get into it i, I think if you're doing entrepreneurship the right way um yeah so i'm yeah, into it cool. um yeah and it's a different model right like that's the other thing too that i just don't think that like maybe later on once you're thinking about your like your business, like you're running it purely like a machine and you're just like switching variables and stuff like that. Like you're at massive scale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like the personal connection of like running a smaller business, like with more, like less volume. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, there are different ways and they are legitimate. Um, can you create a billion dollar company this way? Uh, maybe not with this exact model. I mean, you probably have to switch a couple things. I mean, could it lead to a billion dollar company? Yeah, potentially, because you're going to understand the problem really well. Right. Um, <clears throat> and you're going to have worked on a solution. And if you automate it and you have customer trust, like, absolutely. I don't see why not. Um, but you can, you can make good money. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of people, it's kind of lost on them. The idea that uh, there's two ways to make money in business. Uh, you could, you could, get a lot of customers at a relatively lower amount of money, or you could charge more money for a customer. Mm -hmm. uh, the math really works out in your favor if you're charging somebody $10,000 a month uh, to do a high ticket service. Um, I mean, if you get 10 customers, you're already at a million dollars a year versus to do right. this as a SaaS uh, at $10, at ten dollars, uh, that's a lot of people. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems more more feasible to you. Right. Finding a hundred people to buy your product with finding ten thousand or a right. hundred thousand. But that just comes million. down to you gotta solve the problem that's worth ten thousand dollars per month to solve. I think those are the problems worth solving anyway. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. True. True, because then yeah. they really they're they're problems that really hurt, <laughs> you know. Yeah um i mean to each their own but uh i mean it doesn't have to be ten thousand dollars either but right. i think the problem that you solve for a company shouldn't be painful enough 
for them to want to pay a good amount. I mean, later you can go down market and you can automate it and make it much less high touch, right? So you can always like refactor your service into something that makes sense at scale. But uh, but I think if they giving if you're giving them personalized attention, uh, and they're an early adopter or whatever, and they're getting like really good results from it, I think your the your client should be willing to pay. And you should think of them as clients, not customers. Um, your client should be willing to pay you um, a good amount of money to solve that problem or else that problem's not really that painful for them and it, it doesn't matter that much. And uh, you're selling, you know, vitamins. It's not a, not a prescription pills as the saying goes or whatever. Quick, you said you should think of them as your clients instead of your customers. Uh, do you want to like elaborate on that? Like what, what exactly do you yeah. mean by that? I mean, if you think about it, somebody as a customer, they pay you, there's a lifetime value that they represent. They're like a bit, essentially a money bag to you. When yeah. they're your client, you're looking out for their best interests. Um, a client, okay. by definition, is like, it's almost like a, your job is to protect them from X, Y, Z, or to help them get the best outcome. Right. Uh, and your customer is somebody that pays you, like, and represents right. money to you. I personally also don't think that like, I think as we get like more digitized and the market broadens up even more, we get more globalized, whatever, like customer experience, that personal human touch is gonna be something that's gonna be a really big differentiator. Yeah, um, which again is another reason I like the lifestyle business because it's like, you know, with, and it happens all the time. Like we, we're just switching mechanisms right now because a mechanism that we were trying didn't have a feature we wanted. It's like, well, it's mostly automated anyway. Let's just switch to another thing. Versus right. if you have like a relationship with somebody, they know your business, like, you know, right. it's just a different, it's like just to pick up and start over with like somebody new, it's not the same. So you're almost in a better position competitively, even though you're in a worse position at scale. Um, right. like, like I'm saying, the tech startup is only one configuration out of the entire universe of possible configurations of businesses. Right. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. happens to benefit the VCs more than the founders anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, now I can get off my soapbox. Hold up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. No, uh, I agree with you. I'm uh, like after being in the VC world a bit. I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's like it's valuable in the sense that if you need the money to develop something on a long time scale, but I don't. I don't know. I don't really like the VC world. I don't think that there's a lot of value add. I think it's people that have a lot of leverage. That's all. And yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the theory yeah. goes that you can spend a lot of money if you, eventually you're going to get someone that has a lifetime value that's very high. So your right. your customer acquisition costs, you can spend tons of money yeah. trying to acquire them and or building the mechanism as long as the lifetime value is very high and your marginal costs are very low. That's the right. idea. But predicated, it's kind of like a hidden assumption in the tech startup is that you're essentially going to become massively large. You're going to essentially right. become a monopoly. Right. uh which is a formidable task uh <laughs> tough yeah yeah um yeah and i think the statistics reflect that uh many 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 self-described startups like more than 99 percent uh from what i understand they they 
they fail. I think statistics are like they fail within five years or seven years or something like that. Uh-huh. Like it's just everybody basically dies, like on that time horizon. Uh, right. Whereas a lifestyle business, if you run it well, I mean, I bet you the numbers look a lot better than that. Uh, let's just start there. Yeah. Right. And why do you I, think that's? Oh, go for it. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think your question is very interesting. Why do you think that um, most people don't know about the life, the theory of thought in terms of thinking of it as a lifestyle business? Like, well, why do you think most people, it's not the default to turn to? I mean, perception. I mean, just like anything else, right? Um, right. A lot of lifestyle businesses are kind of like the agency model that's sold as like a quick get, a quick, a get rich quick scheme. And then Got it's it. kind of like slimy uh you know there's probably that perception there um it's also not as sexy to say hey you're gonna have a nice business that's gonna produce i mean a good amount of money very stable but uh you can be like mark zuckerberg or you know uh gates or whatever any of these names you know bezos that's just more as sexy and (laughs) and i think that there's an entire industry that has an incentive to present it in the best light uh, like VC, um, right. and so they do a lot of stuff like events, you know, networking. If you think about all the things that go into the VC marketing engine, uh, there's actually quite yeah. a bit, yeah, um, to popularize it, like content, all of that, articles. Um, yeah, there's a lot more content out there in terms of VC funding than there is on lifestyle business. Yeah, that thankfully is changing a little bit now with the advent of the indie hacker movement and the micro entrepreneur. And even like now there are micro entrepreneurship like investors, which is a whole other category. Right. Um, I think that's changing and I think that's really good. Um, But uh, the dominant, dominant share of entrepreneurship focus is just there. I think because that's where most of the resources, the highest incentive to like market that is. Plus, I think it's also like, again, it's a perception thing. Like, if you think about the original lifestyle business, it's the mom and pop shop. Um, But then in the recent times, we've seen the mom and pop shop get eviscerated by the technology. And so I think that might lead to the incorrect conclusion that like a lifestyle business isn't like viable because of technological advancement. And I think that- that's actually not true at all. And like new formulations of the lifestyle business that were previously impossible are now possible. And I think Patio Eleven, which is very uh, influential in this space, he he's, has a good quote uh, about this. And he says like, essentially like most people have not even begun to imagine or we don't even know the entire expanse of careers and businesses that are possible through the internet yeah we're like scratching the surface just like yeah (laughs) Uh, so yeah i don't know it's cool because the internet like essentially it just allows you connectivity right so now what it really to me the internet really actually allows you to follow your passion and make a business out of it as cliche as that sounds right because like if you're interested in it, you can find a community around the world that's interested in it. And then it's just about solving that community's problems, right? Um, so that's what I think is freaking awesome about it is like, like there are jobs out, like there are businesses and jobs out there that you're like, 
what <laughs> that's a business that's crazy the you know? whole creator economy for example yeah crazy entirely absolutely yeah. nuts yeah and it's cool and yeah. it, it's interesting being in, in like two different worlds uh for me like being in miami a little bit and i know that california is a whole other ball game than same thing for new york right but it's like comparing that experience then to coming back uh let's say to my province right where it's like like there's actually a guy that i spoke to and he uh on youtube he made sneaker videos which kind of propelled him into success in that ends right but when he comes back to our city right he'll talk to like people here and be like oh like like we'll ask him what he does right it's just like oh like i, I made like uh, videos on youtube on a sneaker and it's kind of like a like a laugh like people just like okay right but then meanwhile this kid's doing like way better than than anyone else like the accountant who you know got his solid career but here it's like that career of okay, getting okay. the typical is still celebrated right and it's like sure of course of course but yeah. your sneaker friend is the one who's laughing to the bank literally and yeah. metaphorically yeah. literally um so, so it's perception yeah. yeah a lot of people see a business as riskier than a job um i think a job is actually riskier than a business in a lot of ways if you come at it from a different angle in a job you only have one customer your employer uh if that right. customer decides that they don't like you anymore versus in a business you'll have many customers and then you know potentially more robust and in a job your income potential is fixed in a business it, you could make as much as you want really like or as much as your business is able to structurally. Um, uh, I don't know, in a business, like the customer doesn't really care about you as an individual. They care about whether or not you're able to solve their problems in a job that is very much not the case because there's compliance risk and all this other stuff, you know, and right. credentialism and all of that. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on, but like there's a lot of advantages that having a business has that in my opinion make it cumulatively less risky for a certain type of person than a job yeah um, and i think that's the thing i would probably um like from my experiences like so if you do have a business right then you are last man standing you are accountable it, it kind of comes down to you and i think in my experiences some personality types um don't actually want the responsibility sometimes is, is what I've seen from my experience. Like just comparing some friend group, I have different types of friend groups, right? And obviously like, let's say our friend group, we're all very entrepreneurial. That excites people to be able to be like, yes, I wanna do this. But I know other people, it's like, they don't actually want the, the responsibility sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, yeah. job, I think jobs are right for some people um yeah. and some situations like sometimes like you're down yeah. on your luck as an entrepreneur and you need a job to make some cash all right do it right. just like right. i don't know that i would see myself like i i could potentially work a job in you know i mean tomorrow if like circumstances should present themselves that right. way but like i you know i reserve the right to do that but is it something that i want long term or will i not have like some kind yeah. of like entrepreneurial ambition like doubtful um yeah i think that business is just so much better in my mind uh no i agree well I, the other thing too is like if you have your own business or if you create a business like your the amount that you have to learn is like 
way more in my opinion right so if you're a job you're learning one function you're doing one thing and that's it so you do your own business you now become more valuable in if you do want to get a job right because now right. you have yeah. a way broader all types skill of skills set. yeah 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 and achievements and stuff like that yeah that you can present absolutely yeah you can look at it that way as well um yeah. For me too, the idea of doing one function over and over again uh, oh. is dread is dreadfully boring. Oh, I can't. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Um, plus, also having to deal with the politics a little bit of the office is always something that I've not really been a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, versus with customers, you can you can see if you get along with, a, especially if you're running a smaller type of business, lifestyle business, you can see if you get along with the customer before you start. You can set the terms of your engagement. It's a different position right. to be working from. Where in the job, you're uh, essentially at the mercy of your your boss's will and right. the office politics, uh, and they're the ones who control whether or not you get a raise, uh, stay employed, etc., etc., etc. As a business owner, you have a lot more self determination and right. autonomy. Right. Yeah. No, I would agree. I would say the only other. Um, I agree with everything. The only other benefits I would say about the jobs right now, currently, how everything's set up um, that I see is would be a at a job, right? You do get um, a lot of knowledge transfer, I would say, depending on where you are. And I find when you're on your own, it just depends on the type of person you are and how, what's your aptitude or ability to learn on your own, right? And then two, the job also provides a community, right? Because when you're starting out, right, it is kind of you talking to your customers, right? But I guess at the beginning stages, right, you're, you're kind of on your own to some degree, right? So I would say like yeah. that's the other reason. But I mean, moving towards the future, right, I think as people are more in their own businesses, I'm sure there will be, and I think there already are, like, right, community groups that people can join and all that kind of stuff where you might be able to fulfill that function. But that's the other only thing I like about a job is I know because like when I was kind of going off my own or whatever, right, that it's like you kind of miss that that knowledge transfer that you get from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with that. Uh, I think, though, being in a room full of entrepreneurs is just a lot more interesting to me personally. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%, right? (laughs) 100%. They're very differentiated people. Um, Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, they have unique interests. They have different ways of seeing the world. And they have different ways of doing this thing that we all do, business, uh, different philosophies. Yeah. So pros and cons. And you can give up equity in your company if you're going to, if it's really going to be more valuable net. Um, But I think the growth model is kind of like crazy. The equity growth model. So you have to hit that growth or essentially like you're not making the kinds of returns on your business that is like worth it for you um you know you really have to hit those those growth marks to make that equity valuable to then sell it to somebody else or ipo which really nowadays is just sell it to somebody else you know get acquired or whatever um or merge um what sorry go for it no go finish no and and just with the cash model i mean like with the cash flow business which also the overlap of cash flow businesses and lifestyle businesses is fairly high, almost right. like safe to say that they're almost always like the same thing. Um, you know, 
money comes in, you see it, you decide how you want to invest it in your business and, or right. if you want to pay yourself, it's wonderful. Like it's not fake, like paper money, it's real money you can spend and use right now. Like, right. you know, right. it's completely different, uh, completely different model, right? Yeah. Cause there are people who are founders who are like paper rich, like rich on paper, but like yeah. cash poor, you know, they can't do their groceries. Right. And sometimes they're, you have these wonderful towering valuations and then you have the fall from grace and like, oh, well, right. there you go. There's five years of your life undid, like. Right. Uh, right. And that's really what attracted me to the lifestyle business is the time. You can't get the time back. Um, right. You are living. You got one life. Yeah. Uh, live it right <laughs> or live it the way you want to live it. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Yeah. So I just felt like, Eh, you know, when I was faced with the juncture of like, what am I going to do next? Am I right. going to sink some time in an unknown, like an unknown quantity of time for an unknown right. reward in an unknown time horizon where there's actually a good possibility that this will be worth zero? No, it's not very appealing to me. <laughs> you know, you look at it that way, it's kind of like a really bad gamble. Um, right. If you look at it from an expected value calculation. Yeah. Um, Less yeah. than a 1% chance is worth a billion dollars. Uh, 99% chance is worth zero. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I think I agree with you. Um, question for you. What do you think about the, um, let's say, like, if you have employees in your companies, what do you think about, like, the equity model in terms of sharing equity with your, your employees? I think it'd be, it could be good. Um, like it motivate people. Um, I think you could just as easily share revenue. Yeah. Or do performance based incentives. That kind or of thing. give more bonuses. You know. Uh there are other compensation options that can right, potentially differentiate you quite a bit from other employers if you want to attract the best talent. You can also be yeah. more flexible with the way that you work with people. Uh versus right. In the VC started the VC startup model, uh, usually your investors have a seat on your board, usually a controlling interest on your board. So if you right. do not run the business the way that they like, then they can potentially take over your company, which is kind of like the secret, you know, let's not talk about this part uh, right. you know, on venture capital. Right. Uh, the space of possibilities that you have as a life, lifestyle business, you know, Sky's the limit. Get as creative right. as you want. Like, right. versus you don't have that freedom when potentially, unless you got a very good, very benevolent investor, uh, usually, typically, you don't have that freedom as right. a VC backed company. So, yeah. something to think about. I think also the other point on VCs while we're on it, <laughs> I don't think that I would take a VC on my board who, like, A, I don't think I'd ever really go that road because I 100% agree with you. I just don't think it's a. Great. I don't think the incentive line, I agree with you 100%. Um, but especially, I find a lot of VCs, if they haven't, if they are entrepreneurs themselves and haven't grown and scaled and sold the company, and they're just finance people, I find finance people are very good at analyzing companies, um, right? And like looking through all whatever the things and predicting where they think it's going to go. But they don't actually have a good understanding of how an, a business runs. It's like, it's like, a, it's like, they can write anything down on paper, but they never actually had to execute on that, right? So my experience is like, oh, we'll just do this, 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 this. Well, like, I don't think they, they understand how hard it is to get like their first 10 customers, right? Because they've never had to do that. It's just like, 
they're just looking at numbers on a screen and this is where this goes. So that would be my qualm with a lot of VCs, especially if they're not founders themselves, because they don't actually know the whole process of building a company and what it takes to run a company, you know? Yeah, the map is definitely not the terrain as the state yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's an industry. Right. So what I could say about that. Yeah, <laughs> it makes money for some people. Although, I don't know about most, like, uh, most funds returns, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't think they're uh, great. <laughs> I don't think they're Yeah. Great. Like, there yeah. are some ones that are excellent. Like, Andreessen Horowitz, I mean. Yeah, it's a cool Home run idea. after home run. But, yeah. Right. Uh, for the rest of the ones, eh, I don't know. <laughs> and well, al- also then. I'll go for it. No, and then also the other thing too, which I find interesting about the positioning, the way that uh, VCs and accelerators and stuff like that, they will market themselves. Sometimes they market themselves as like, hey, we'll support you and stuff like that. But I actually think that they're, the really successful ones are actually more, uh, they're probably better at identifying the companies that are on a trajectory to succeed anyway and investing in those than they are in necessarily like precipitating those outcomes. Um, which is kind of like a uh, kind of a qualm I have with you know kind of like a little little dishonest the uh, way that right. things are marketed. Um, right. So yeah. Right, and then again, if you just follow the incentives as well, VCs need to provide a return to their LPs, which puts stress on them. Like you know, just the incentives just aren't aren't really aligned on any. Yeah, sense, and then that's the say. other issue as well, right? The LPs they have a yeah. fiduciary duty literally yeah. enshrined in law and uh that also restricts the um the space of possibilities it's kind of like one big chain like it, it you know turtles yeah. all the way down like you yeah. know the lp has to or sorry i think it's is it the gp then the lp i don't know if i'm switching my terms up here but uh whatever it is the person who actually makes the investments they have a fiduciary duty to the person that invests uh and that means that they can only make some decisions without it being like poo-pooed like right. potentially down the line and them having some exposure and then they go ahead and they turn around they take like controlling interest on boards in startups right. and then they restrict the amount of decisions that those businesses can make to potentially right. some things that are non pooable and uh, i think ultimately the market and all of us were poor for it to be honest with you like on a fundamental like theoretical level like the space of possibilities of businesses that are maybe workable under like the structural forces of VC are potentially smaller than the ones that are workable in like a uh, lifestyle business that has no restrictions. You know, the only restriction is would, will your customer pay you or not? Um, right. But I guess my question, question was Amazon, did Amazon ever take on any money or Amazon is completely it self-funded? It did take on no, money. No, it did, it did. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess that would be yeah. my only question is like, okay, so now if we do think of the really big companies, right, that are have shaped a good wall of the way we do and open up a lot of possibilities, right? Like Amazon has opened up a whole universe of people who could now have their Absolutely. own online stores. It's a platform. Right. Correct. Right. And so Correct. to some degree, I think that VC does play a function in those types of things, but then you could argue that, well, Amazon, Google, and Facebook now they have a ridiculous amount of power, right? Um so I mean, yeah, I and that they stifle com- competition and innovation. Right. Yeah, 
actually a big argument to, hey, we're not going to fund that is, I mean, Google's going to move into this market and crush you. Uh, you know, yeah. Right, true. So, true, true. Yeah. Um, which is, it just gets wheeled out over and over again. Like, hey, X tech, X giant is going to move into this market and destroy you. Um, right. <laughs> and Amazon kind of is a quintessential like VC poster child because essentially like it's, I mean, some people call this scorched earth capitalism, but essentially like Amazon, reduce prices, reduce prices, reduce prices, run at a loss, take VC funded money, put everybody else out of business, establish a monopoly. And then like, then you're good. Yeah. Um, And now Amazon is not, yeah, (laughs) go for it. Sorry. No, that's what it takes to get those returns though. You have to have that growth. I think it's implicit in the model, but I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off. No, I was just making a comment. And now, like, if you go to Amazon, it's, like, probably now one of the most expensive. Like, you could get way cheaper stuff at other places now. Whereas before, you knew that Amazon was always the lowest price. Yeah, but now it's so convenient. And it has yeah. such a high selection. Everything. And, and the customer service is pretty biased to the buyer, which is obviously bad for the sellers in some cases. Right. Actually, really bad for the sellers in some cases. Because they prioritize the demand side. But, um... Pros and cons. What do I see as the true real function of DC is to enable yeah. technologies that would have otherwise not been able to exist, like deep tech. Yeah. Um, I see that as a true function of DC. However, that is very risky for them and they actually don't make that many t- like types of deep tech deals. Um, right. If you look at the entire space of like what they invest in. Um, but for me, that's like the true function of DC is to enable right. something that otherwise structurally would not have been able to exist through right. money and ironically if they do that well then that's also a barrier to entry um so i don't know whatever i'm not a vc right. but i especially <laughs> i've definitely thought about this a lot um well the issue is too like so if that is the function of a vc right and it is deep tech right then like kind of by nature my model right if it's super deep tech and it's on the edge of innovation there's very 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 few people who actually understand how that's going to work and what's going on right so that's why well, the investor standpoint, you're scared because you just don't know what you're investing in, right? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a pickle? Uh, <laughs> quite, the, quite the VC predicament we got going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, the space for the market might also be very small. Like, you know, how does right. VC get started? And my knowledge of the history of VC, I mean, it started literally with like, the transistor revolution like and who was buying computers like at that time when they were enormous like governments uh right like huge research outfits like scientific research outfits um but you needed the money to like get started in the beginning to like bootstrap the whole thing um and then i mean obviously now you had this incredible flourishing of technology on top of it now were the vc did the vcs of that time capture the full value of their innovations no but i mean like is it good for society ultimately? Yes. Yeah. Um, does that mean that maybe it's not the function of VCs to invest in these kinds of things, that maybe it should be a collective effort by all of us via government? Maybe, maybe not. It's an interesting question to consider. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought a lot about like, what is the purpose of a VC? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, after after working it, I think I came away with the, the same question, let's say. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that was a that was a diatribe on uh, 
entrepreneurship and venture capital, but yeah, that's there. Um, well, not question, but maybe just like, again, marketing perspective. Um, what is like the name of your company? How can people find you? And give a little, actually, I don't think we did this. So for the viewers, kind of yeah. give an overview of what exactly you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So our, uh, our name is Instant Inbound and we help people, or at least how we build ourselves on our website. Um, there may or may not be some things that we can work with on an individual basis, but uh, the way that we build ourselves is we help you avoid bad sales calls. Um, so we essentially help you learn more about your prospects as they're going through like your marketing materials, what we call a sales funnel. Um, and we give you this like super personalized information about them um, and also get them to learn about your service before you like have to talk to them directly. So it'll save you time, increase your sales, uh, and ultimately maybe even give you some insights on your business that you weren't aware of. Um, so if you wanna check us out, we're at instantinbound.com um, <laughs> and you'll see a very nice hand-drawn drawing that I don't think we're actually gonna replace with a professional graphic because I think it captures people's attention. So, okay, nice. so I think we're gonna leave it just like that. Um, so yeah <laughs> you piqued my interest i want to go see uh, what your drawing is now <laughs> yeah yeah. This, yeah, this yeah. Conversation. it's Good. fantastic yeah <laughs> and then just give it a personal personal uh whatever check mark it, it looks sure. like uh like like a four-year-old draw it but you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> was that you yourself that was your yeah. own hat okay yeah like ms paint basically just open it up <laughs> Yeah, but but to anyone listening, everything Chris does is of the highest excellence and he gets results. So just given the personal check mark of approval for Chris, for anyone looking to increase their sales, uh, Chris is the person to go to. Thank you very much, Katie. Thank you. Right. Now, now we've passed the, the infomercial kind of thing. <laughs> just kidding. Sponsored. Um, <laughs> sponsored by If you want to find Chris on Twitter, his handle is at Chris the c-h-r-i-s-g-e-r-e-i-n-a so make sure to give him a follow on twitter always lots of value add tweets uh also you can find his company uh on the internet it's www.instantinbound.com um and again nothing but great things to say about him and his work and what he does so if you need to to reach more customers he is your guy so be sure to check it out be sure to check out the website, www.humansoftheworld.co and follow us on Instagram. That's at Humans of the World Podcast. There, make sure you join our Telegram group chat uh, and join some other cool people from around the world. So with nothing more, I hope you have a fantastic day.